We're waiting for that last trumpet. It will call the church, the body of Christ, up into heaven. The battle will be over. We will then go into the presence of the Lord, and we will witness firsthand what we are seeing this morning. This is a futuristic event. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church, of Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Revelation, we are at that point in the future known as the Tribulation. The Bible tells us this is a time that will be worse than any time in history, even worse than we can imagine. The pandemics and the civil unrest we're witnessing in 2020 will pale in comparison to what will take place in the Tribulation. And we've studied already some of the judgments that will be coming, Over the past few weeks, we examined what are known as the seal judgments. And today we break the seventh seal, only to discover that it opens the gateway to another seven judgments, each marked by the blowing of a trumpet. And so we begin today in Revelation chapter 8, in a message entitled, When the Trumpets Sound. Take God's Word with you this morning and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 8, as we consider when the trumpets sound. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 tells us that when a nation gives up on God, that God gives up on that nation. When a nation fails to acknowledge God's right to rule over them as a people, then God will give them over to the lusts of their hearts, and the people will worship the creation rather than the Creator who is blessed. And so we have a huge movement in this country that is giving more attention to Mother Nature than they are to Father God. And so it's become really almost a religion in our country. One article I read recently expressed that many denominations and world religions are joining together over this issue. And so the Pope recently met with the Dalai Lama of Tibet. They are collaborating over global warming. One headline recently flashed, Earth Day, something we can all believe in. And the article was calling all of the faith systems of the world this spring to unite to save the planet. And then you have many so-called evangelicals who don't want to be left out, and they have formed a new organization called the Evangelical Climate Initiative. The ECI, as it's abbreviated, is a group of over 300 senior evangelical leaders in the United States who, quote, are convinced it is time for our country to help solve the problem of global warming. The organization has signatures like Bill Heibel, Rick Warren, emergent church leaders like Rob Bell, who denies the eternal retribution in hell, emergent leaders like Brian McLaren, who affirms homosexual marriage. Add to that now recently the evangelical, um, and the National Association of Evangelicals have signed on to it. They represent approximately 45,000 churches, 30 million churchgoers and a number of evangelical colleges and seminaries. People somehow truly believe that it is in their power to save planet Earth. And more and more people are rejecting God's right to rule. And we've seen this pattern directly from Romans chapter 1, where we as a nation said no to God and we replace creation science with evolution. And God gave us over to sensuality, and God gave us over to homosexuality, and now God is giving us over to that horrible list that we find there because we have chosen 
to worship the creation rather than the creator God. And so to help pastors and priests and rabbis and organizations celebrate Earth Day, they have written hymns for that Sunday. Thousands of sermons are available to pastors. I don't buy my sermons online. I prepare them in God's presence. But one sermon I could have purchased was called Penguins, Polar Bears, and People Too. Or there's one for Jewish rabbis, Passover and the Global Climate Crisis. And so this April, tens of thousands of churches, including evangelical churches, will wave the banner of Earth Day. Now, certainly, as Christians, we don't want to abuse the planet. I don't want to take my motor oil and pour it into the marsh. But with that said, when someone becomes a new creature in Christ Jesus, their perspective on life changes. They automatically recognize that abortion is murder, a murder that can be forgiven, but nonetheless, life begins at conception. They hate things like child trafficking, and they certainly don't want to damage the planet. But I have news for you today from the Revelation. The damage that man has done to the planet doesn't even begin to compare to the damage that God Almighty is going to bring upon it. God will destroy water and land like man has never seen. And in the end, he's going to obliterate the entire planet, the Bible says. He will burn it with fire and he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Now, with that said, let's read our passage. Last week, we looked at just two verses. Today, we'll go through the 13th verse. Let's start in verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add to it the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and threw it to the earth, and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded and something like a great burning mountain with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded... And a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. Then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in midheaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet and of the three angels who are about to sound." Now, by now, I think you recognize, as this chart illustrates, 
that there are three primary divisions to the book of Revelation. Chapter 1 concerns the things you have seen. That's a vision of the exalted, glorified Christ in heaven. Chapters 2 and 3 describe the things that are. Seven literal, actual churches that were functioning in John's day to whom he is writing this book to, and not just for them, but for every church throughout the history of the church. And then the futuristic section underscored twice in Revelation 4.1, the things that are after these things, metatata, the after these things, the futuristic section of the book of Revelation. Now, let me zoom in on the context of chapter 8, because many of us are walking in this for the first time. The futuristic section begins with an open door in heaven, Revelation 4.1, where the church has been caught up. That's emblematic of the church that has been led into heaven. And so it's not by accident that the church is not mentioned between chapters 4 and 18. We do not see the church again until they come back with Christ. When you uh, look at chapters 4 and 5, we see the church along with some tribulation saints worshiping in heaven. And then in chapter 6, the wrath of the Lamb and the sealed judgments begin to unfold. And it is so intense that Revelation 6.16, the people say, fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the, lamb, on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Then in Revelation 4 and 5, again going back, if you remember when we were in those two chapters, we were witnessing scenes of glory. We're in heavenly places in contradistinction to chapter 6 where we're brought down to earthly places. We moved from scenes of joy to scenes of judgment. And so in the 6th chapter, all the way through the 19th chapter, there's a structure with three sets of sevens. Now, there are many sevens within the seven. There are sevens all the way through the Revelation, and not by accident. It is so profound the way God structured the book. No man could have ever thought this up. But it is very important you understand the architecture of the book and how it unfolds. And if you don't understand that, you'll become a little bit confused. And so the judgments are sequential. The first trumpet cannot sound until the seventh seal is opened. And the first bowl cannot be thrown to the earth until the seventh trumpet is blown. And so first, as this slide illustrates, we saw the seven-sealed scroll. The first uh, four seals were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The fifth seal, if you remember, brought a huge number of tribulation saints who are slaughtered for their faith because they choose to follow Jesus. Then the sixth seal, there were cosmic changes in the universe that we witnessed. And that brought us to this interlude. You notice between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, which opens up seven trumpets, there's a space or a parenthesis, and that's chapter seven. And so we're going to see six parenthesis seven, six parenthesis seven, six parenthesis seven with the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments. And in each of these parentheses, God is going to look back and show us what has been happening during the time of the Great Tribulation. So when you come to chapter 7, if you remember, God saves 144,000 Jews who become evangelists to the world, and they witness across the planet. And the promise that Jesus made, this gospel of the kingdom shall go to the whole world, will be fulfilled. Then when you come to chapter 8, as this next chart shows, the seventh seal is broken. 
which in turn opens up seven trumpets. And as you read through these chapters, you discover that there is an explicit cause-effect relationship between the opening of the seventh seal and the sounding of the seven trumpets. The opening of the seventh seal opens up the seven trumpets such that uh, when it happens, there is 30 minutes of silence in heaven. And so in chapters 8 and 9, we're going to study the first of these six trumpets, and then almost to allow us to catch our breath because it is so intense, there's another interlude, as you can see in chapters 10 to 14. In chapter 10, we'll study the angel in his little book. In chapter 11, we're going to study the two witnesses that God is going to use to preach the gospel. Just like there was an interlude in chapter 7, there is an interlude in chapters 10 through 14 before the bold judgments begin. Chapter 15 is somewhat of an introduction to the bold judgments in chapter 16. So again, this next chart to help us to visualize it. The next great event is the rapture of the church. The church is caught up. And then there's a small period of time, weeks, days, possibly months, unknown. And then the 70th week of Daniel starts. That period is seven years long. That's affirmed by Jesus That's affirmed by the prophet Daniel, and that's affirmed by the Revelation. And the time frame is very specific. It's divided into two halves. It's three and a half years each, a times, times, and half a times, 1,260 days, uh, 42 months, all terms used to describe the two divisions of of this seven-year period. And the first half, largely, Israel's protected. Then an event takes place in the middle, which will bring about the opening of the seventh seal that will sound the seven trumpets, and Israel is persecuted. It will culminate with Jesus coming back to the earth to rule and reign right after the battle of the Armageddon. And so the function of chapters 8 and 9 is to help us to see these six trumpets as they are blown. And then when the seventh trumpet is blown, 11.15 tells us that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. And you think, well, the book's over. But then he gives us a second parenthesis because we're not going to see what happens when the seventh trumpet is blown until we come to chapter 16 when the seven bowls of wrath are introduced. And so in chapters 12 through 14, God is going to identify for us seven personages that are playing a critical role during this seven-year tribulation. And we're going to see how the Antichrist came to power, and we're going to see what was happening in these early years of the tribulation. So chapters uh, in chapter 4 through 7, we saw heaven filled with praises, the people of God praising God, and we saw that great multitude of people who are saved in the tribulation, and that's one of the functions of it. God not only wants to save Jewish people, but a great multitude of Gentiles from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. But when the seventh seal is open, 8.1 indicates, we studied it last week, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. Now, heaven has never known silence, as far as we know, until this point, this future point in human history. This, I suppose, might be the only silence we will ever see. But it's like all of heaven is holding its breath for what is about to happen. It's like you parents, you know, all of a sudden things get real quiet. 
You find out your little three-year-old boy has taken the markers and he's drawing an image on the living room wall. Or your little girl is playing Betty Crocker and she's making a cake there in the kitchen. Well, listen, it gets silent because something is off. And all of heaven watches as these seven angels are given these seven trumpets. When the Lamb, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now remember, the root cause of this is the Lamb breaking the seventh seal. And this is different from the trumpet judgments, and I mentioned this to you last week. This is not a scroll with seven seals across the outside, but the scrolls, are, a seal is broken and you, un, you unveil the scroll. And another, scroll is bro, another seal is broken and you roll the scroll a little bit further. And another seal is broken. And, and so these are seven scrolls all the way through the scroll. And there have, there's been one scroll that was found just like that. And of course, we talked about the meaning of that scroll and its implications. But you can only see one seal judgment at a time. But what's different here is when the seventh seal is broken, you can see seven angels in all seven trumpets that they will bring upon the earth. And in the seventh trumpet, you can see the seven bowl judgments. So you get a picture all the way to the end. Now, wonder... It's announced that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. And what, is going, what we're going to study with these trumpets and bold judgments are so awesome, so terrifying, it just takes your breath away. And there's silence in heaven. But it is going to usher in the second coming of Jesus where He will rule and reign for a thousand years. We studied it when we looked at the Christmas story the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Jesus came the first time into this world, and he never sat on the throne of his father David. But he is going to. The prophet Isaiah said, A child is going to be born, a child is going to be given to us, and the governments will rest upon his shoulders. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That has never yet happened, but it is going to happen. And so what we see here, and we'll study it when we come to the 20th chapter, Jesus will literally sit on David's throne and he will rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years before he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And so verse 2 indicates, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Again, this is different from the seals where you can see only one at a time. Here, John witnesses the seven angels and their seven trumpets all at once. And if that were not enough in the seventh trumpet, are there seven bowls? But what is mentioned here are the seven angels. And I noted for you last time, it's articular, not just seven angels, but the seven angels. And if you know your Bible, you know that God created angels and He ranked them and He gave them order because God is a God of order. Some of those angels have fallen, but they are still ranked and under an authority structure as it is with God's holy angels. Well, these are some 
well-positioned angels who stand in the presence of God. And the participle that's used in the Greek means they've been standing there for a long time, much like the angel Gabriel who came to announce the birth of Christ to Mary. He said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. He's a high-ranking angel. Now, some think that these seven angels are seven archangels, and I suppose they might be right, but that would be an argument from silence. Jewish tradition says there are seven archangels. Catholics actually have given a name to all seven. There's actually only one that is named in the Bible, one archangel, namely Michael. There may be more, there could be more, but there's only one that is specifically mentioned. But in either case, these are seven high-ranking angels angels, and they're going to blow the trumpets. Now, we discovered last week that trumpets are more than just instruments for music in the Bible, but they are instruments of announcement. And God often blows a trumpet, as this next slide shows, for different reasons. In the Old Testament, God called, blew a trumpet to call the people to work. He blew trumpets to call the people to worship. He blew trumpets like in Ezekiel to warn the people. And he blew trumpets as well to call people into war. There are two key trumpets that the Bible mentions in relationship to the rapture of the church. The trumpet of God, 1 Thessalonians 4, and the last trumpet, the other great rapture passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, that's Michael, and with the trumpet of God. Paul says to the Corinthians, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. And we noted that the Romans, like the Jews, also had trumpets, and they had two specifically named, as brought out by the great Jewish historian Josephus in his book on wars of antiquities. There was a first trumpet that called the Romans into battle, and Paul had just mentioned that in the prior passage, 1 Corinthians 14, 8. He said, if someone blows a trumpet and it's an indistinct sound, you won't know what it means. And of course, he's applying that to people who spoke in uninterpreted tongues in the church. It didn't do anyone any good if they weren't interpreted. And so there was the first trumpet that called people into battle. And then there was the last trumpet that called people home. We're waiting for that last trumpet. It will call the church, the body of Christ, up into heaven. The battle will be over. We will then go into the presence of the Lord, and we will witness firsthand what we are seeing this morning. This is a futuristic event. Now, it's not the last of the last trumpets in the sense that there is a great trumpet that happens at the second coming, and then through the millennial reign of Christ, there are trumpets sounded for over a thousand years. But nonetheless, these seven high-ranking angels have seven trumpets. Verse 3, another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. Now, Moses records for us in the Torah, a very detailed description of the tabernacle that later becomes the temple. When Moses came down from that mountain, as Cecil B. DeMille 
uh, placed him with those Ten Commandments in each army. He also had a set of blueprints, and he didn't show that, but God gave him some specific blueprints of a temple in heaven. So Moses couldn't build a, a tabernacle however he wanted to build it. God had specified specifically how it should be built. And we've already begun to see some of the temple furniture. We looked at the brazen altar earlier in Revelation. That was the altar that the priests would sacrifice um, an animal on because they couldn't just approach God flippantly because we're sinful. And since the life is in the blood and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Atonement needed to be made. Someone asked me on the Bible line about atonement during the millennial reign. Yes, there'll be atonement. Now, we know Moses referred to the fact that the blood of animals atoned for sin. Well, we know that they can't take away sin, but nonetheless, they atoned for sin in the sense that they were a picture. And we're going to study later on a future temple beyond the tribulation temple that will be constructed during the millennial reign of Messiah. The prophet Ezekiel writes about it. And just as we practice the Lord's Supper as a memorial looking back, even so, we will be in the temple as a forever reminder of what Jesus did, especially for those who will be saved during the millennial reign. We'll come to that, so I'm getting ahead of myself. But there's all this temple furniture. Here's a picture of the golden altar. How do we know it looks like that? Because God tells us exactly what it looks like. He gives us a detailed description of what it would look like. And if you remember from the Christmas story, John the Baptist's father was at this very altar that sat right in front of the veil that brought you into the Holy of Holies. And there he is ministering. They took the coals from the brazen altar where the blood had been spilt to affirm that you couldn't come just any way you chose. You came on the basis of blood, prefiguring the blood of Jesus who would atone and take away and propitiate the sins of the world. And they mixed incense with it. And as they did it, they prayed to God and the incense rising up into heaven was a picture of our prayer coming to God as a sweet aroma. Now, look at Revelation 5 and verse 8, or just listen to it. If you remember, we studied one of these altars. The 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. So when we read here in our text this morning about incense arising up to God, it's defined for us as the prayers of the saints. These golden bowls represent our prayers. You might want to put next to verse 3, Psalm 141, verse 2. Let me read it to you. King David said in that psalm, May my prayer be counted as incense before you. That's the picture here in verse 3. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. There is a temple in heaven that someday believers in Christ will be able to see, and in that temple will be these altars discussed in the Revelation. To listen again to today's message entitled, When the Trumpets Sound, Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 
and requesting program REV22. All our resources and studies are available at no charge online, but this service, along with time on radio stations, is not cheap. Would you come alongside Search the Scriptures and consider becoming a foundation partner? For a minimum gift of $25 a month, you can help support this teaching ministry, which is committed to bringing unbelievers into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and to growing believers in their love and knowledge of Him. Just click the Give button online or on our app or call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll continue our look at When the Trumpets Sound. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.